Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author Sam Baker. Today I'm chatting to acclaimed poet, author and activist Selena Godden. Now in her late 40s, Selena has been writing and performing since 1994, when she moved to London seeking the bright lights and never looked back. In her evocative debut novel, Mrs Death, Mrs Death, the self-confessed dreamer brings death to life as a middle-aged black woman and combines prose, poetry and non-fiction to tell the stories of the invisible women society prefers to ignore. Anyone that's worried about turning 40, I say, hurry up and get here. This is where the party is. This is the good place. Over the next half hour, the woman once described as everything the Daily Mail is terrified of, talks about not being here for babies, and how glad is she that she'll never be asked that question again. Being in the midst of all the weather, why she thinks menopause is a return to the magic of childhood, and why 40 plus is where the party is. Welcome to The Shift, Selena. It's really, really lovely to have you. Lovely to see you. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's lovely to be here. Hello. It's been ages. Let's just go straight in and talk about your absolutely brilliant book. I loved it. Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. You're so clever. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. don't know how to respond to compliments, sorry. We could talk about that for a whole hour, couldn't we? You're going to have yeah. to get used to it, I think. You must be starting to see people show it some love. Like Andy Oliver, for instance, bigged it up on the Sky Book Club, didn't she? I mean, how, oh, how does I that love feel? Andy Oliver. I love her so much. She's so um, cool. I used to be Andy Oliver's poet on Friday afternoons on GLR. Obviously, it was 10. Um, yeah. No, I'm joking. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> in uh, the uh, 90s. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so I used to, I used to go in on Friday afternoons on Baker Street to GLR BBC London and uh, do poems for her. So to see this full circle and then her following my work and and to give it such a boost on her show, it was like family. It was really like an auntie. It was yeah, it's really beautiful. This is probably gonna sound really terrible because you've been working and been successful now for 
decades, but this does feel, I don't want to sound fake, but this feels like it could break you through to people who don't know about performance poetry and about your work already. You look horrified. (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to think about that. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. As long as it reaches the people that I wrote it for, the people that have known loss, the people that are hurting, the people that I want to come together, the connections I was making, the dots I was trying to join up. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a bit then about the genesis of Mrs. Death, because Mrs. Death is such a cool character. Oh, do you like her? I like her too. Um, tell you a bit about her. Well, it's kind of a, a voice, a true story. It was Christmas time and I was low and I often get quite low before Christmas. I think we all do a little bit. It's a lot of pressure. And in my case, some big anniversaries, my father's passing and various dates that are quite significant and of course struggling with money and everything and so I was walking down through Whitechapel down through Brick Lane exactly um, as Wolf meets Mrs Death and heard this voice I know a lot of dead people now and I was like that that's really strange and then, and then I was just walking all down Brick Lane and all down past the mosque and down right through Whitechapel and past where the elephant man was and where the Cray twins were and just stopping in bus stops just writing this first monologue and that was the first kind of chapter for me the monologue um, I know a lot of dead people now um, and I yeah it gives me the shivers when <laughs> say that <laughs> so that's kind of where it started it feels very much uh, not me, like a message, like a something else, like some wisdom. I don't know. Yeah. Does that happen to you often or is this a special occurrence? By default, just the way I'm made, I'm, I'm always looking for signs and symbolisms and connections and serendipity and coincidence in, in my life and in my work. I pay a lot of attention to my dreams and some of the work in Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death are dreamscapes and places I've seen that feel as real as places that are real in the in reality. So, yeah, I think I pay attention to that stuff. I'm just made that way. I'm just a dreamer. <laughs> For the listeners, tell us just a little bit about Wolf and Mrs. Death and, you know, what's going on. So it's the story of a young struggling writer who I've called Wolf. And Wolf is alone and troubled and dealing with mourning and grief. And Wolf has a relationship with death and Wolf meets Mrs. Death and they become kind of strange friends in a way. And Wolf randomly purchases an antique desk and the desk is quite magical and the desk speaks to Wolf. Whenever I talk about the desk, I get quite excited because I imagine just the desk as this really flamboyant kind of black, gay, amazing kind of RuPaul character. <laughs> I, really, <laughs> I really enjoyed writing the desk. So yes, if it was a thing, I'd yeah, definitely cast the desk as RuPaul. And also quite a comforting voice. You know, you are the shape you are, honey. You're made the way you are. Look at me, I could have been a piano and I ended up being a desk. <laughs> so the desk character kind of has all of the stories of Mrs. Death because it's Mrs. Death's desk and this piece of furniture comes to life as a kind of conduit or vessel to time travel to significant deaths that Mrs. Death wants to revisit or talk about. Um, And a lot of the deaths that Mrs. Death talks about are 
invisible women or unheard women or undervalued people. And so I wanted to give some of the unheard or unlistened to some illumination and light. Yeah, so that's as best I can do. I hope I didn't babble too much. I love babbling. Same as swearing, babbling and swearing. (laughs) Um, It's a kind of a beautiful combination of poetry and prose. And as you just said, cases from real life, isn't it, of unsolved murders. Mm. Um, well, how did you pick the cases? The book was going to be twice the length. It was going to be <laughs> always. It, yeah, they always are, right? I was very adamant that a book about death must be small enough to fit in your pocket and short enough to be able to read on a train from, say, London to Edinburgh. I wanted it to be uh, accessible as opposed to a book with death in the title being this huge tomb that you carry, you know. Yeah. So I wanted it to be the kind of book you'd read in a thunderstorm and then just as the clouds break, you've read it. I love that. So how did I choose which ones went in and which ones didn't go in? That was very tricky. But I feel like this is just the beginning and there'll be more deaths to write about later on down the road, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there will. It's not spoilering to say that, you know, in this book, Death is a woman and she's a middle-aged black woman. The most powerful black woman in the world. The most powerful woman in the world, in the sense, because she is death. She's not anybody's wife. She is the boss of death. Yeah. I love that. And it was the minute I realised that that was what you'd done, it just seemed so obvious. Again, why would death be a man? It seems so obvious that death should be a woman, because a woman and a particular black woman, particularly a middle-aged to elderly black woman, a working woman, they are the most invisible people of all. And death is invisible. Was that something that you had been thinking about or did that just come to you in this voice and you decided that? It kind of came to me in the voice and then this kind of idea of the invisible woman, you know, the cleaner, the person in the shop selling you your tobacco, the homeless person in the doorway collecting plastic. It's like death in plastic, death in tobacco. And and just have her hidden in plain sight because death is everywhere, but not if it's not touching you or something. You know, mm. we have a very strange relationship with the way we mourn, the way we grieve, the language we use when we're talking about death. And of course, I must say, obviously, I wrote this book before 2020. I'm really aware that it's going to land quite differently to where we were when I finished it a year ago in 2019. I don't know how else to say it. The timing is probably quite good. And I know that's terrible. I know that's a terrible thing to say. It feels like it's really going to meet a need, you know, in people's lives. And like you say, it's not heavy. It's not overwhelming. It addresses a a really heavy subject with such a light touch. I loved your description just then of, you know, you finished the book and the clouds left Mm. and the sun comes out and it's really got that Feeling. I mean, I, I do feel changed by having met Mrs. Death. Oh, and of course you are, if you've met her, but <laughs> just in this sense. I was really touched by her and that I think I read, maybe it was in an interview you did, it's only she that is invisible can do the work of death, or maybe it was you actually wrote that in the book. And there's no person more silenced than the woman, talked over, walked over, ignored than the woman. Have you felt invisible? during your life? I think so. I think we all do as women. I'm aware of times when I've bitten my tongue. I'm aware of shrinking back and waiting my turn, waiting patiently. I think I've done that a long time. I mean, career-wise, I have. 
I started writing and performing when I was 19 and I was 40 when I got my first book published. So that's a long time of waiting my turn and rejections and try, try, try again and keeping the hope and the faith. I like that I did though. (laughs) Yeah, how did you? (laughs) I have no idea. There's no magic. I think it was this huge stubbornness (laughs) (laughs) combined with the fact that I really don't want to do and cannot do anything else. It's all I've ever cared about is writing, whether that's poems, or essays or short stories or plays or even as a kid it was what I was doing making my own little books with crayons and sellotape you know I think it's just what I've always done storytelling is is what I like to do and writing lyrics and poems it's just what I've always done I just had to figure out a way to get paid doing what I love like everyone else you know yeah yeah then that's easier said than done isn't it Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you started performing in the 90s. I mean, it's probably not quite as bad now, but probably still the case. Now, the headline acts were still mostly white, male. How did you keep going against that? I feel like I had some great mentors. I had Jock Scott and John Cooper Clark and Howard Marks. And these men were great fun to get drunk with and to party with but also obviously to do gigs with and learn from, and the Cockney poet Tim Wells. I had a very male influence in the 90s, in my early days. I didn't really have a big sister, so I try very hard to be that for other young 19, 20-year-old poets. Yeah, I didn't really have a path I was following. I very much bashed my own way through quite a lot Mm -hmm. of bracken and brambles and stinging nettles and and just just muddled and pummeled my way through them you know it's like we haven't seen one like you here before and it's like well they're coming behind me yeah (laughs) Yeah. were there any women on the circuit at that time yes in poetry there was of course Bernadine Evaristo Patience Egg Babby Francesca Beard Cheryl B, a beautiful New York poet. There, there was a bunch of us, but we were few and far between. And often there would just be one per show, you know, and then five oh. blokes. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. A bit like the way comedy TV panel shows sort of vibe, you know? Yeah, exactly. That They've just had a look and realised everybody's a white man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit of that. Yeah. Do you feel an obligation to pay it forward? Absolutely. It's not just an obligation, it's a it's a love of it. It's a it's fun mixing it up. And we need all the fishes, we need all the colours, we need all the stories. I always think in very big terms and if you kind of picture a hundred years into the future, you don't want them just to think that there were only one type of voice singing. There was a whole bunch of people doing work and, and making work and it's important to get all of that work so that in a hundred years time someone in a library will see those names as well as the more you know sort of obvious ones. When um, young women who kind of want to follow in your footsteps come to you what what do you say to them what advice <laughs> would you give them? A big bottle of rum <laughs> we sit yeah. on my kitchen table and we thrash it out and a hell of a lot of it is you know being humble and and taking your time and being patient which is something I never was and and then also you know having a thick skin as much as you can using the rejections as something to kick against when I say that I picture a swimming pool you can't do a really fast length unless you don't kick against the wall you know so rejection mm-hmm. like that like so it's yeah yeah someone used to say to me that you can't climb a well from the middle you have to like fall right to the bottom of the well and they're in the dark and the slime when you're at the bottom of the bottom it's only then when you look up and see 
how to climb out. And I think that's quite true as well. This kind of idea of just keep climbing, even though it's, you know, some people Mm. might be zooming up there really easily with a ladder, but you're all going to get to the light in the end. It probably sounds easy to say when you've done the climbing, but it's a bit like if you've got the ladder, there's a lot of things you didn't learn. Yes, yes. I still feel like I'm in the middle of the world. Keep going the stupid way around. (laughs) Stopping for a chat. Stopping for a fag. That's the best way, though, isn't it? That's yeah. that's the most fun. That's how you meet people and learn stuff. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have to keep learning and growing. That's what a writer's job is. I think you just get better and better as the decades go on. And I mean, I'm in my forties now, but I'm really looking forward to my fifties and my sixties. I want to have like big, white, crazy hair. And, you know, and a little bottle of rum in my bag with my book and be turning up to events, rocking it like that, you know. I might even get my first tattoo. Could do it for your 50th birthday. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Quite tempting. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, there's a line in the book that um, I absolutely loved. I think it's Mrs. Death says, it's exhausting how much space men want. Yeah. I I really love that line because it just is exhausting, isn't it? How do you feel about that personally? I'm going to leave that open to interpretation. Now people want to read that, but I think in that particular paragraph, I'm kind of in Mrs. Death's mouth right there. <laughs> like, yeah. I couldn't agree with her more. <laughs> I've always felt very frustrated about labels and boxes. And in that paragraph, I think you're referring to 
the idea that blue is for boys and pink is for girls mm. and isn't everything for everything and everyone for everyone, you know. And I, I find it very frustrating as a working class, mixed racial, mixed up, crazy, colourful kid. I've always found trying to fit in to the boxes really hard work because I'm a Selena shape, Selena. <laughs> I, kind of, yeah. I don't know how to be any other shape. Yeah. For me personally, one of the things I have loved about getting older, especially passing through the 50 barrier, is I feel much less restricted by the boxes than I used to. Are you starting to find that? I am starting to find that. I am starting to feel really powerful. I feel like menopause is returning to a magic, is returning to source. I was a very magic child. As a little kid, I was really magical and, and believed in so much. And... um and then there was all this adult stuff to do, which actually I found quite annoying. And so now <laughs> that stuff is over and I can just focus on being magic again. So I'm really into this. I'm not here for weddings and babies and all of that. I never was. But now I really don't even have to explain that. And that's such a freedom, not having to say, I never really wanted children, Sam. So I always had to kind of make excuses and talk about later or some imaginary later date or something. But now I don't have to do that. But it's that idea, isn't it, that women are constantly asked about that? Mm. When did it stop? Do you feel like it stopped at a certain... It's stopping. It hasn't completely stopped. It's stopping but I feel like all my albums and books have been DIY or crowdfunded or you know for so much energy and you know it's almost been like giving birth <laughs> almost <Yes>. as painful <laughs> emotionally as painful I'm you know um, and trying and trying and pushing and so I never do anything by half so I've definitely put my all into all the things I've made so I'm looking forward to never being asked that question again yeah it's so interesting you say that because you kind of get dismissed as it being a cliche if you say well no I didn't have children for whatever reason whether I didn't want them couldn't have them whatever but you know I did have my work and often you put so much into that that they are your babies and I know saying your magazines or your books or your poems or your babies sounds like a cliche but it's also true I think it is I think it really is I mean I was very um single-minded in that sense very I was chaotic and the years were crazy and I got into a lot of mischief but there was some real work going on under all that there's a real craft or art in making the work look like play making it look like you're just yes. playing when actually you're really leathering it you're really you're really on it you know getting up yeah. at four in the morning and kind of living this kind of strange double life I've always said that I feel like I have two wives there's like the bolshy blonde that's up on stage and the shiny shoes and lipstick. And then there's like the brunette or the introvert that's at home that actually does the work, that actually gets up at four and does all the writing. And so this year, lockdown, I've just been in introvert mode for months. This is the longest I've been, you know, it's like the monster mm. is in the box. And I can hear her <laughs> kicking. I want to put shiny shoes on and jump around on stage. Uh, yeah, so it's very been a very weird year for me to keep the mo monster in the box that long. When you perform not being able to perform or worse having to perform on zoom I mean somebody um I spoke to a few weeks ago said to me you know I feel like I'm like standing there cracking jokes at myself and it's just it's just not working you know it just 
Exactly. It's like trying to be the monster, but in the room where I do the writing, it just doesn't go. The extrovert in the introvert space, I find it really uh, challenging. So um, I love what you said just then about going back to the magic. You're not the first person to say that kind of like the bit in the middle, kind of 20s and 30s, not that it doesn't have its purpose, but there's something about this age, late 40s, 50s and beyond, that is a bit like you go back to your original self. Mm. I am so there again. It's brilliant. (laughs) in so many ways in my dreams and um but also in the energy and anyone that's worried about turning 40 i say hurry up and get here this is where the party is this is the good place it's where the magic is and also that thing about giving yourself more freedom and forgiving yourself a bit more Mm. um and, and and not competing so much with what's supposed to be happening in your life and doing what is happening yeah yeah a bit less should going on yeah 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 Yeah. oh no I really I couldn't agree more honestly I absolutely love being in my 50s I love it it's great and it's partly because it does feel a bit like the pressure's off I mean probably the pressure came from me to a certain extent that pressure to should be doing this to should be the job the babies the all of that stuff you know but it's the boxes you don't I mean one of the things that I write about in my book The Shift is that the male gaze isn't looking at you anymore yes you can kind of do what the hell you want (laughs) nobody's looking (laughs) yeah exactly you can wreak all kinds of havoc have you started having perimenopausal symptoms I think I'm kind of in the middle of a whole bunch of symptoms I don't really know what's happening but um I'm in the middle of all the weather that's the best way to answer that yeah there's a hell of a lot of weather going on (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah so all, all the good stuff, like crying for no reason and sentimental kind of flurries of sentimental feelings, which are gorgeous in a way and quite strange for someone looking on. Yeah, all the emotions. Yeah, quite a lot of memory triggering stuff going on, things I've completely forgotten about. I feel like I'm going through this whole forgiveness thing, these rigid rules I had and things that happened when I was younger. You go, oh, that happened. And then you say, hang on a minute, you were 19 or you were 16. That's fine. You know, for some reason, you, you for years, you, oh, I don't know. That's a much deeper conversation. But yeah, definitely. So there's a whole bunch of changes and shifts going on. Kind of forgiving yourself. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah, I think it's important, even in worky things, like, you know, looking at poems you wrote, you know, they're quite charming and funny, these things you wrote when you were 15 or 20. I'm really glad that I'm in this age. I wouldn't like to have my things I wrote when I was 15 on the internet or on Instagram or whatever, you know. I'm quite glad I did quite a lot of my um, learning years, although live on stage, but nothing was really filmed or not in the same way it is now or recorded, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of a relief. (laughs) Yeah, every single thing you ever did from 15 was on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, imagine. Yeah. Awful. Yeah, so I'm kind of relieved in that sense. Keep it 21st century. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you wouldn't, given a choice, you wouldn't want to go back to any particular age? No, I'm very liking the present, which is a really refreshing answer. There was a time I would have disagreed with myself there. But yeah, the present is where, yeah, I'm I'm definitely here and now, here and now. (laughs) I think you're going to be like a really like powerful, unstoppable old bird (laughs) (laughs) so do I (laughs) (laughs) 
Can I be in your gang? Yeah, you already are, Sam. You already are. You already are. Thank you so much for your support with Springfield Road and for asking me to write that Billy Holiday poem. It really meant a lot to me. Oh, it was absolutely lovely. On the subject of Springfield Road, actually, your memoir, do you think you have another memoir in you? Yes, I do. Because, I mean, Springfield Road ended at age 12. So I could pick up you know, and do, you know, my teenage years or my 20s. But I don't feel enough distance from that yet. I don't feel old enough yet to visit that. And, uh, yeah, I feel like I need more years first before I try and attack the 90s. I've been thinking about writing a memoir about one specific year, the year 2001, um, because that was a, a real change and a real shift. Um, I've been thinking about that, but we'll see, we'll see. At the moment, I'm really um, excited about writing fiction and writing about these three people, about Mrs. Death and her sister life and time and these three characters and how they are as as real people in my head. So that's taken up quite a lot of my headspace right now is what I'm trying to say. Are you writing another one? (laughs) Okay, would that be a jinx question? That's a jinx question. Like every writer, you, you're still writing even after it's gone to print, aren't you? You wrote an essay as well in um, Nikesh Shukla's book, The Good Immigrant, Shade. I did. Which was really powerful. I mean, listened to you read it on Audible. You talk about how you felt like you were judged all that way through your younger years. Do you feel like that's still a factor? There's two things to say about that Shade essay. When we wrote that book, it was before Brexit and everything. I don't know, it was a very different time. I think I'd write Shade Mm. a bit angrier now. So I kind of like that about that essay, that it's got all this Mm. hope in it and love in it. And so many things have happened since 2015 when it was written. So it's really poignant, that book, in that, for me, it's like a little time capsule. And your question, well, some of those things in that essay are forever, aren't they? Mm. You can't change how people spoke to you at school you can't change the way how how you were treated as a teenager or as a young woman for example trying to do modeling and being told I was exotic that was that was strange they just wouldn't do that now you know I think times are changing in that it gives me hope these things happened then I know they're still happening now oh I don't know Sam it's very complicated part of me is very hopeful and things are changing and we have all these beautiful initiatives and conversations going on and then part of me is Oh, I'm not so sure. And, and, and yeah. you see, see things like the racism in footballers. I, I watched that documentary the other night, for example. And then, of course, the beautiful series that Courtier Newland and Steve McQueen are making, The Small Axe. Yeah, so brilliant. inspiring. Yeah, but also gives us a little mirror of what was then and what is now in a really beautiful and, and skillful, concise and inspiring way. You talk about that you would write that essay more angrily. Are you more angry now or less than when you were a young woman? I think anger's a strange word. I don't know why I use that now. I think the word I'm looking for is frustration and a disappointment. I think the last five years there has been an escalation in, in racism. I think there's been an escalation in inequality and bigotry and everything that's been going on, you know, with uh, everything. Yeah, if I was to write an essay like that you now, it would be a bit sharper, yeah. a bit more roll your sleeves. Up, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine used the phrase a long time ago, which I nicked plenty of times productive anger. Mm. And I think it's that, isn't it? It's not like that unfocused rage. Like you say, it's like, hang on a minute. Mm. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not letting you get away with that. What would you say your emotional age is? Oh, my goodness. That's a funny question. I think my emotional age is ageless, darling. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the only way I can really answer that is I am just 
very emotional and a massive empath. Like, I feel like I have a very, very thin skin. I'm like a newborn baby. That's my emotional age. I want everything to be fair. I, I don't understand, like, the simplest things, why they can't be fair. I'm like a big old hippie. I just want everyone to get on and love each other and pull together to save the planet. Is that too much to ask? I'm kind <laughs> of like, be, but... <laughs> you know, I just want everyone to love each other and be groovy, man. I think there's something in what you said about very young. One of the things you said much earlier on about feeling like a big affinity with your little self. Yeah, I wonder if there's something. That's interesting. That's first. That's good. <laughs> completely different. Just before I go on to that, the questions I always ask, I'm, I want to ask you about your hair. Are you going to go grey? Selena has great hair. I've got like one or two. They're not coming very quickly yet. I'm 48. Yeah, I haven't got very many grey hairs yet, but I don't care. When they come, when they, when they come, they come. I've always dyed my hair like honey, blondie, put sort of tints in it and stuff all my life, really. I look very stern with dark hair. I dyed my hair black when I was a teenager to try and look like Prince. <laughs> <It looked terrible. laughs> but, I'd love um, to see that picture. Is that, does that picture exist? No photos were taken ever <laughs> of me. I've got barely any photos of my younger self, actually. So, yeah, not very many grey hairs, but I'd, I'm not bothered. I'm, I like, I'm got really lots of lines on my forehead from keeping my eyebrows up because I'm not as tired. When you were a kid, um, you wanted to stay up late. Oh, yeah, like holding your I'm eyes open. I'm not tired because <laughs> you're trying to read another page. or so I've got really mad wrinkles on my forehead, but I've let it go, let it go. I like it. Actually, on the subject of being tired... You get up at 4am to write every day? My routine's a bit skewer. So when I'm not touring and things, I'm very uh, tea drinking, sober, going to bed at sort of 10.30, get up at 10, get up at 4. But it's not really a conscious thing. I don't have an alarm clock. I'll often fall asleep thinking about something I'm working on and then will dream about it or think about it in my sleep and then wake up with the next line and then leap out of bed so we don't forget it. It works like that. Sleep, oh walk, writing. <laughs> if you could like bottle that, I'd buy it for sure. Uh, but... Nobody's going to need you from four in the morning till approximately ten in the morning. So just you can just switch off, watch the daylight come, and just really just home in on what you're here to do, what you're born to do, what you want to do. And I think that's really beautiful. And just to sort of just give yourself that time. And then once you've done what you want to do for the day, I find I'm a much cheerier, cheerful person because I've already done my mm. bit, what I needed to do. Um, so I've got more time and energy for everyone else and all the all the other lovely jobs that you, you do in a lifetime. You know. And you but, haven't got it hanging over you, I suppose. Oh, I should have written 2,000 words. Or I wouldn't imagine yeah. you approach it like that, do you? That horrible, like, no, I've I got to hit that word count thing. Don't look at word counts. It's more about feelings. It's like a traffic jam in, in my head if I don't get it out. And then I'm really quite grumpy and not nice to be around. And then I have a big writing session and it's like, oh, I feel much better now, much more approachable. Mm. Brilliant. Okay, give us a book recommendation. One of my all-time favourite books is Jean Reese, Good Morning Midnight. Oh, I love that. I think that is a beautiful book. I think Jean Reese is an incredible writer. I particularly like her stuff from the early days. Those boozy Paris books are just gorgeous. I just think they're so evocative. Brilliant. Um, what would you want to tell younger women? Um, never, ever give up. You know what? You have to be really careful who you take advice from. So don't even listen to this piece of advice. Listen to your own self. You're your own goddess. You're your own salt. You're your own you. 
Um, I think we get so many suggestions of what to be doing and how to be doing it. You know your path, what you're here to do. So, you know, listen to your stomach and your own guts of what you're here to do and what you want to do with your short time here on Earth. Yeah, I think I took too much bad advice in my 20s and 30s. Listen to too many people. Yeah, so I mean, somebody once said to me, what you need to remember is that advice is just someone else's opinion. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then it does kind of put it in perspective a bit. It's just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, cool. Who is your old bird role model? Oh, can I have Andy Oliver and Nina Cherry? I love those two. Yes. Yes, yeah. you can. You I want can. both of them, please. I'm going to be greedy. <laughs> That's fine. You can. I want both of them on the podcast as well. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Nina Cherry's got a memoir out, hasn't she? Is it next oh. year or the year after? Yeah, I can't wait to read that. I love everything she does. She's so amazing. I love her. What's your superpower? What's my superpower? I reckon it's getting up at (laughs) 4am. I'm not going to tell you because then everyone will know when I'm using it. (laughs) (laughs) Cheater. She thinks I'm joking. No, I don't (laughs) think you're joking. (laughs) Last one. How many fucks do you give? All the fucks. I really, really care about everything and all of them and all the things I do. I I can't not give a fuck. That's just not in the way I'm made. I give a massive fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I did not expect that. That's great. (laughs) No, it is. It's just that that's blown my mind. I need to go away and think about that for a bit. Thank you, Selena Gordon. It's been absolutely brilliant to have you on The Shift. Thank you, Sam. And your wonderful book. I want everybody to read it and meet Mrs. Death and know that men don't have all the power. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on Twitter at Sam Baker and Instagram at the other Sam Baker using the hashtag The Shift. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate and subscribe because it really does help other people find us. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.